This is Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Each week, we feature conversations with experts in leadership, management, human resources, culture, and technology to help you succeed in this new normal. This is your host, Benoit Ardivalli. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Abrupt Future. This week, we're going to be talking about meetings. Apparently, we have lots of meetings, maybe too many or not the right time. I don't know. We'll see. I have with me an expert on meeting who's also starting a company that aim, and I'm quoting their vision, to make meeting suck less. So, James, <laughs> Kelly, welcome to this episode. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, Benoit, thanks for having me today. Yeah, I'm really honored to be here and excited to chit-chat about meetings and more importantly, the impact, both positive and negative, of meetings. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, with uh, COVID-19 and all the fun stuff that happened into the last year, a lot more meetings are happening. But even that, I, I would venture that a lot of us were either doing a lot of meetings face-to-face, other online, and even before the pandemics, a lot of companies are globally integrated, so you need to work with colleagues from other places. We spend a lot of time, I feel, in meeting. Is is that true? Is that a good guess, or am I the only one feeling I'm back-to-back? <laughs> Well, I would say if you're feeling that, that's probably true. I think the interesting thing about meetings is that at least in the U.S., and you can extrapolate this out globally, but in the U.S., on average, there are 55 million meetings a day. So, you know, that to me says a ton about meeting cultures. And if you're in, you know, a global organization like an Intel or a Nike or, you know, there's there's just meetings of beyond meetings beyond meetings in a day. So yeah, I think your inclination is probably pretty spot on. Yeah, I mean it's a natural way of of taking decisions, sharing information, right? I, I had some good conversation on previous episode of the podcast about the difference between synchronous and asynchronous communication. There are times where you want to do things live and. There are other times, and especially when people are across different time zones, where it makes sense to use a online technology or email to share without being online at the, the same time. But if we have to be online at the same time, what, in your experience, would you say is are the main issues with meetings? I mean, I'm sure well, I there's think, good and bad. Yeah. bad first. <laughs> Let's rip this off like a band-aid. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting about meetings is, is there's a psychological component to, to a lot of them. And the psychological component really is about covering your own butt. And, and that is also then a function of the culture of the organization you're in. And so when you look at meetings, you look at that the most high-performing organizations and the most low-performing organizations, those that have some sort of meeting culture that's predicated on feedback and growth they actually outperform the by outperform one third compared to others. So what I mean by that is those who have meetings that have no real feedback culture, no really cycle of, of benefit. Those are the bottom one third are poor performing organizations in terms of output and productivity and, and really ROI. But I think when you think about meetings, again, kind of going back to the psychology side, you know, it, it, 
a lot of people invite everyone under the sun to be in a meeting. So the intention is to say, I've done my due diligence. I've got everyone in the meeting for buy-in. But the reality is, and the question that people don't actually often ask is, is that person necessary in that particular meeting? The other thing that's really interesting about meetings and the reason why most of them are ineffective is that people repurpose agendas again and again. So the agendas aren't even actually impactful to the meeting that you're going into. They're just basically copied from the week before. I'm sure you've experienced, you know, let me ask the question. Have you ever been, you know, your weekly meeting that you have with your team, not maybe yours, but someone else's, where the agenda is clearly the exact same every single week? Have you had that experience? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's when there is an agenda, because let's face it, there's also the issues of the agenda is whatever is in the title of the email. Yeah. That, <laughs> so that's usually it. And what's interesting about, you know, the world we're moving into around technology is that there, there is a growing suite of technologies that will basically scrape your emails and look for all the agenda items across the different emails that are connected together and propose an agenda. I mean, Microsoft is doing this now in Teams. And I think now or I think it's coming out soon where they can basically identify what the topics may be for your meeting. So that agenda question might be relieved soon in terms of not even having one. But I think the notion of having in the repeatable agenda, to your point, if there is one, is it actually is disengaging, right? So if I go into a meeting and it says, okay, we're going to talk about uh, new items, old items, you know, project items, but it's the same every week. No one has to come prepared. People just have to come. And there's a difference there. Yeah. I, I, I recall seeing so many memes uh, and online internet jokes about meetings, you know, like or this meeting, this 30 minutes meeting could have been one email or one phone call, right? So there's this perception that, that we waste a lot of time, yet they seem to be populating everybody's agenda despite. Um, yeah, I, I do like your, your point on feedback and growth. What what does it look like when when you say that good meetings or good meeting cultures mm -hmm. will have an element of feedback and growth? Yeah, so I want to kind of preference a kind of a, another fact that I forgot to throw in there around those fifty five million meetings, and then I'll get to that second half of that question. You know, the other little stat that's really interesting is that sixty nine percent of people think that meetings are unproductive or ineffective. Wow. So overwhelmingly, people don't even enjoy meetings, and that's really clear. So What you find when you look at the research is that when meetings are most productive is that when organizations create what's called an open forum or feedback loop inside and around the meetings. And so what does that mean? That means that a lot of meetings, it's this top-down approach of leaders going to talk at you for 59 of the 60 minutes, and then you're expected to listen. And what happens in, in organizations that are much more robust in terms of the feedback, and when I say feedback, it's not necessarily around the performance of one individual, but feedback around topics, ideas, concepts, and really the general meeting flow. And so, so meetings that are really impactful, those that are you know really more mindful or meaningful, not only is the person who's initiating the meeting more prepared, but they're actually proposing questions to those in, in, that are attending the meeting. So for example, instead of saying, hey, what are the future items, you know, like future items, future project on uh, for 2021, right, as, a, as an item for the mm -hmm. agenda, you could ask, is there anything specific or important about this future topic for 2021? And by posing a question to the meeting on the agenda, it triggers actually an emotional and psychological trigger in someone's head because it moves from I'm just reading and interpreting versus I'm reading and thinking, right? So if I say you're tall versus how tall are you, those are two different thought processes inside your head. Or if I say, 
you're tall or why are you so tall? You're going to give me probably a, a bigger conversation around your height and your family history and things like that. And so when we think about meetings, by including those in the meeting, that's part of that feedback process, by including those who are going to be in the meeting and bringing in all the voices in a meeting, you're really allowing for growth and you're allowing for excellence to really be born out of including all the voices in said meeting. Does that make sense? I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, because then you're bringing an element of productivity in the meeting, right? But my sense is that there's a lot of meeting that get lost sometimes because, again, to go with so many internet memes, if the goal was just to do me a download of information, send me the deck after that. I'll just read it. But yeah. if you're asking me a question and then I can contribute a response live, I'm I'm doing something and, and, and I think that this is what makes some meetings engaging because let's face it, some yeah. meetings work out well, but I feel like it needs to go somewhere. If if you're not asking me my advice or if you're not asking me to produce something or generate some ideas in the meeting, then it means the leader or the person who's calling the meeting is just uh, transferring information, which is not engaging. And then after five minutes, you know, I'll, I'll say it publicly, yeah. I start zoning out or multitasking <laughs> or I'm, you know, so, yeah. so it's, it's this element of engagement that, that yeah, well, well, that's what I was going to get to as well is, you know, when you think about meetings, you know, if leaders drive on average 70% of the variance of employee engagement and leaders are in an over 50% of their day, sorry, leaders days are made up of 50% of meetings. That means the touch point of engagement for a leader to team is really high. And so if leaders do a better job leading in those moments, in those meeting moments, to your point, by asking questions, by being prepared. But by the way, it's a two-sided coin or it's a two-sided economy. So those coming to the meeting who have tasks with items to be prepared for, which is why questions and agenda are really important, it actually makes the meeting much or creates a much higher level of engagement between the leader and the team in that moment. And so if you couple the idea that leaders are the, the critical piece of engagement, and leaders are in meetings over 50% of their days. And if you're an executive, you're probably 80 or 90% of your days. That if you're prepared, but you're asking questions on the agenda to get other people to be thinking about what to come to the table with, you're actually creating an ecosystem and culture of question answer or, to your point, engagement and purpose. And it's kind of like the golden chalice of trying to get people to be engaged at a higher level. You know, someone who comes from the background of engagement, you know, from where you've come from and, and, you know, what you're doing to now, now is that, you know, that engagement is one of those hardest, it's one of the hardest things to create inside an organization on a consistent level. Yep. And, you know, what I argue quite often around that whole notion in and outside of meetings is engagement is a framework of questions. What are you asking to those that you're interacting with? Are you having one-way conversations or are you having two-way dialogue? And that's really important because, you know, I wrote a book in 2018 called The Crucible's Gift, and it was really predicated on over uh, interviews with over 150 executives from Fortune 2 all the way to entrepreneurs. And one of the biggest premises out of that book was that authentic leaders, and, and these are leaders that really engage in and outside of meetings, one, one of the biggest takeaways was they create what's called micro moments of meaning. And mm -hmm. micro moments of meaning is this really simple concept of leaving the other person with a smile or a reflective, positive affirmation point. And the reason why that's really important in a meeting or outside of a meeting 
is that psychologically in your brain, what happens is that for every positive neuron that fires in your brain, it almost compels chemically for that person who's got left. So if I'm the leader and I leave you with one of these micro moments of meaning, smile, laugh, humor, thought provoking, you're more likely to engage in that again with someone, the next person you come in contact with. And so when you think about a meeting, if you end a meeting with creating some of those micro moments with your team, they're more likely to go off and create another micro moment with the next person that they engage in. And it's a multiply effect across the organization. So that's just one example how engagement in the meeting can be really, really beneficial. And I, you know, I come from appreciative inquiry background. So for me, you know, it's really, really impactful to think about it from a questioning perspective. And what kind of questions can you ask? Because the questions and, and language that you use really derive the framework and thought that the other person has. And I guess it, two thoughts that come with that. One, it really aligns with the model now. A lot of people are talking leaders and managers as being more like coach. And everybody who ever had some kind of executive coaching know a good coach is really good at asking good questions, questions that make you think progress, challenge, grow, and, and develop yourself. So that's one thought. The other one also, we, I had another guest a few weeks ago who was talking about success skills and career skills they don't teach you in schools. And I would, hearing your stats, right, if most of what leaders do is being in meetings and they have the biggest impact on engagement, that's pretty much a skill in itself. Like if you come out of university or any sort of professional development, a meeting 101, right, beyond make sure you have an agenda and all that, but the, the true art of conducting a facilitated group conversation with purpose, intent, and outcome, that sounds like a great business skills to develop. And I don't think it's that developed. No. Why do you think that is in your experience? Why do you think that it's not a focus area for organizations? Well, I'm thinking that sometimes we, what is the expression? We, we look at the moon, but not at the fingers that, that's pointing at it. So we, everybody become really good at the, the big picture. You know, if you do an MBA, if you're in consulting, you know, or talking about the world that I may have been in contact with, everybody who's manager or leader, we look at numbers and strategies and ideas and presentation, but then you forget that what you're actually doing is conducting a series of meetings that leads to another meetings. If an alien was coming and looking at the business world from outside, what would he see? He would see people who are doing meetings and then sending PowerPoints <laughs> and having another meeting about the PowerPoint to revise it and another meeting about the Excel sheet that will help you put together that next PowerPoint, right? If you think you're <laughs> You know, you, if you have a movie camera and you look at a business world just from the point of view of recording the behavioral action that's in front of you with no, no Weltanschauung, no uh, background, no, no belief, in, you know, and just looking at what's happening, it's just a tons of meeting. And I think we've been missing that, that very simplistic perspective. So you wouldn't think about developing that as a skill. So let me ask you, because this is curious. So can I ask you, I'm just, so for me, this is kind of trying to, to, to kind of create the point I'm trying to make. So you, yeah. you're an executive. How many meetings do you go to a day where you think to yourself, and you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to pick on, <laughs> on where you're working, but just in general, no, no, like no. if you were to go in your career, how, like what percent of meetings do you go to where you think, boy, this could have been handled in an email, a one-on-one -on -one meeting. This could have been handled a totally different, more effective way. So I'd like to think that I'm getting better at it because I've been moving a lot of things out of my calendar. But still, in the day, there's easily 30% 
of the day that could have been handled different way. But sometimes you have to go in the meeting to realize it, but it's it's still a fact, right? So so let's build on that. Why do you think that 30% exists if you're being invited to these meetings? Why is that existing? Well, I think there's all kinds of expectations, right? In the background, there's expectation about hierarchy, about how do we look not just to our boss, but to, to each other's, right? I'm sure if I was an anthropologist and I would be looking again at, at the world of business and management, mm-hmm. I would look in terms of scenarios and, and role being played and, and archetype that people are trying to impersonate. So there's always this desire to show value or fear of not bringing value. And sometimes if you're alone working on a deliverable and sending it, it doesn't have the same value or visible value than somebody who is in the meeting and speaking with you. So so maybe there's sometimes a fear that if we don't show up, you know, the whole problem with presentism. And so then leading to that, so this is great. So I appreciate this. So I'm going to keep going with my, my inquiry, if you will. Yeah. So, so if that's the underlying, then who creates that ecosystem or culture of fear? Oh, I, I think it's a uh, it's it's everybody consciously or unconsciously. I mean, I, I would say probably more on leaders, but then the employee come and just like any culture, you absorb it, you learn mm-hmm. the codes, you play by the rules, you repeat the rules, you reinforce the rule, and then yeah. one day you <laughs> say the rules out loud, and you say, "How come you're not on that meeting? Are you ten minutes late?" You know, so so the system tend to repeat uh, itself over time, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that was the, where you were getting the conversation uh, with agility, but I think it's maybe leaders uh, largely. Well, and it's, this is, so thank you. Yeah, you've kind of gone down the path. I, you know, I think, you know, our Q change, boy, you, you let me lead you right down that path. I appreciate that. Yeah. So Q change, you know, we, we really realize that the leaders kind of the, if you were to throw a rock in a lake, they're the ripple throughout the organization. And so when you look at meetings and they're spending, again, they spend 50%, 50% of their day in meetings. What you find is that the culture they create within and amongst their team is the culture that then gets repeated, right? It's a scalable business, if you will, inside an organization. It's the same set of rules and that are applied again and again. And if those rules are set to be either punitive or create lack of psychological safety inside the organization and give permission to those to not attend or to attend if it is directly impacted on them. If those rules aren't there, if that explicit ground rules aren't, haven't been set, then the culture starts to persist of, I need to be at every meeting to show my worth, my value. And I think that at the end, what you described is, is psychological safety kind of bent the wrong way. Because if you don't believe that your job is um, secure and that your value isn't present to those that you work with, then that says something else about an organization in and of itself. And so I think the notion that, and I think this is the biggest mistake I think early mid-level managers make, and again, it's part of this ecosystem of an organization, is that they think they need to invite everyone under the sun to show their worth and their value. And I think when if you were my direct report, Benoit, if you let me do that every time to you and draw you in, then I'm also bringing down your productivity. But you're also enabling me by saying, hey, listen, I don't need to be in these meetings and only invite me to these types of meetings where a decision is going to be made that I have to make 
You know what I mean? So I think often you, know, you may be invited into a meeting where there's no decisions being made and it's just information only. And you know what? That probably could have been summarized in a follow-up email sent to you. And so you've just spent uh, an hour of your time or 30 minutes of your time doing an event that doesn't really have a direct implication on you. And I think that happens more times than not. And so those who are arranging the meeting aren't really asking the question of what decisions are going to be made and who needs to be there to make those decisions. Can I just give information to someone afterwards so that they can still be free to have and do their job? Then there are meetings that need to be focused on planning or strategy or at least brainstorming that might require more people in the meeting. But again, that's a certain structure with expectations that are being set up front. Hey, this is a brainstorming exercise. We'd love you to come here because your voice is important from this capacity, whatever that is. You know, Mm -hmm. you have knowledge of something we don't. Again, it takes then a facilitation or coaching bent on the person leading that meeting which to your point early on, isn't typically taught from uh, a soft skill perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I want to highlight psychological safety bent wrong. I think it's a brilliant way of explaining the the problem with with a lot of these uh, meetings. Yes, it makes a lot of sense. But then can you tell us how... With, with QChange, you want to change that? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, we found a QChange in 2019 in July. And what we came to the realization is that so much does happen in meetings that is unaccounted for. But to my, to my earlier point about the leader being the ripple in a, in a lake, right? Throwing the rock and the ripple effect. We felt that if you can help the leader on their journey to acquire and practice soft skills in real time and include those around the leader that they invite to provide feedback, accountability, and support, that that individual will have a much deeper, richer impact in and around the meeting. But that, you know, we could even take the metaphor of the rock in the lake and use the meeting as the rock in the ocean. If you have better meetings that are more productive, more engaging, more energy focused around, around the human connection, then that allows so much more of a ripple effect across the organization. And it breaks down these silos that may occur. We are, my background as a consumer psychologist, I spent you know 12 years prior to this working in academia and doing research. And one of my research streams was around brand community. And what you find is that when you have leaders, opinion leaders, you have innovators inside the organization, that espouse the, the appropriate values, the organization will follow as a whole, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the engagement yeah. goes up. But the framework has to be in place and the permission to have psychological safety. So how do we do it at QChange to create that, those psychological safety? Is We have what's called the QChange Leader Experience Nudge Cycle. It's, it's a simple software solution that resides in Microsoft Teams today. But the way it works is that if you imagine that, you know, I had made a joke earlier about a leader who comes into a meeting and speaks for 59 of the 60 minutes and everybody else is tuned out. They're doing grocery shopping online or they're searching up something on YouTube and you know, they, probably have their AirPo- they have their AirPod in, <laughs> but you don't see it. And so like what we realized is that that leader needs to be more succinct and direct or ask better questions. So our solution has over 45 different areas that someone can work on. So if you've come, if you're coming in with a 360 review, annual review, or if you're just really self-aware or, you know, we have some recommendations of what you could work on at depending on the level in the organization that you're in. 
And so you would say, for example, in that, in the talking for 58 of the 60 minutes or 59 of the 60 minutes, we might say, you know, ask better questions, increase engagement. So the nudge might be, and we use nudge theory as one of our major theories. And, mm-hmm. and the nudge theory for the audience is really, really simple. A lot of companies nudge. We are biased and we think they don't necessarily do it right. But the best nudges are the nudges that are immediately attached to the desired behavior you want to espouse. And so our nudges happen around the meeting three minutes prior to the meeting. So if I'm walking into a meeting and I say, hey, I need to, I need to work on really asking questions, we have a nudge for basically being curious, you know, an, an area for being curious. So it's a growth mindset area, for an example. So before the meeting, I might get a nudge that says something like, in this meeting, ask three to five questions that elicit an open-ended discussion around a topic you're working on. So that nudge happens right before the meeting. So the first thing that's happening with this whole entire theory about making better meetings is that we're making the leader more present about what they have to do to engage their team more wholly, in this example, a growth mindset. So the meeting happens after the meeting. What happens next is that we say to the person who got nudged, hey, did you perceive that you exuded a growth mindset in this meeting on a scale of one to five? Now, again, this is all inside Microsoft Teams today. So I might mm-hmm. say if I'm the one getting nudged, hey, yeah, I, I, did, a, I did a bang up job. I did a bang up job. I'm going to give myself a four out of five. But at the exact same time, the people that I've chosen to help me go on this journey, I, they get asked the same question. Hey, did you notice James espousing a growth mindset in this meeting on a scale of one to five? Now, they might give me an average score of 2.5. And let's say there are seven people in the meeting that I've invited, and they give me an average score of 2.7, or sorry, 2.5. And it's delivered back to me anonymously in aggregate to Microsoft Teams. Now, I'm scratching my head. Now, if you've seen me to the audience, Benoit and I are basically twins from another mother. And so I'm scratching my scalp, if you will. And I think, well, hey, I, I thought that I did better than that. So I have the opportunity then to ask for written feedback. So by inviting those to not only give me a quantitative measurement, but to give me written measurement is, in, is inviting their voices into the room. Because we ask the question, what did you observe in this meeting from James around growth mindset? We asked three really basic questions. What were the situations that you noticed it or didn't notice it? What were the actions that James did or did not do? And what was the impact it had on you as an individual? Again, from a psychological standpoint, what we're really doing is we're moving the traditional learning from in the classroom away from the moment to experiential. And in experiential moments, people and individuals retain up to 75% of an experience. The only higher level of learning is me being able to teach you a topic. That's 90% retention on my end, being able to teach that topic to you. So we're really at the top of the learning pyramid by creating these experiences in real time and delivering that written feedback back to me, the leader. The reason why this is really impactful in terms of the engagement side, as I said, is we're inviting other people to help. And people innately love to help. When it's in the flow of their day, it's not an above and beyond task, and we're asking for their observations on someone's said behavior. It's really difficult to argue with someone's observation. And so with that particular solution, we're actually tackling a number of different issues at one time. Not only are we embedding a culture of feedback, which I said early on in the conversation, the top one third performing organizations have a culture of feedback. We're doing that. Not only are we taking the traditional learning and development from out of the classroom, we're actually making an experience in the right moment around soft skills, which is the third area. We're measuring soft skills. This is really difficult to do. Anyone who comes from a measurement background, it's usually self-reported. And so what we're saying is we're taking the self-report and the perception of 
that particular soft skill. And we're marrying those together to say, here's how you are showing up to your peers. These are the observations they have on your behavior. And the last thing we're doing is that behavior change is really hard. So for any of those leaders that are high performing or those that want to grow on their own, whatever it is, we're saying, hey, listen, we know you show up in meetings, but how about you show up better working on the skills that are going to have a more direct impact in the moment? The tactical stuff, the the productivity stuff, the how many minutes are you in meetings and the ROI of meetings and the presenteeism in meetings, all of that we think is drastically improved by creating a sense of inclusion in and around meetings. And so that's how our system uh, works. It's really simple, really straightforward, but incredibly impactful for bringing groups of people together on a journey. Yes, because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if we, we were talking about how to, to teach that or how to develop that, if I had to watch a, even just a 30 minutes video on how to run better meeting, there's a good chance I would check out, right? I, I think we're coming to the era of peak uh, video watching or peak online training where it has certainly some value, but if if it's just a video or, or if it's not engaging, people will not necessarily remember or recall or retain. But if it's development in the flow of action, it doesn't take any more of my time or, or the people in the, the meeting's time, then, you know, it's just a couple of click to give feedback. It's relatively low cost and high mm. payoff. Yeah, that's what we say. It's high impact, low friction. Um, and that was one of the design functions that we have. And one of our core philosophies, and I think every organization should have this philosophy, and I think every modern organization has this philosophy, is that leadership is ubiquitous. Leaders is a, leaders are typically a title that's given to someone. VP of this, you know, director of that. Those are titles bestowed upon someone. But leadership can be a ubiquitous skill that anyone can have and acquire. And so we really utilize that frame of mind is that, yeah, I may be a software engineer, but I want to develop my skill sets. I want to be better with my team. So you know what? You're practicing leadership skills. You don't have to be titled a leader, but you're being empowered to to espouse, if that makes sense, leadership. Yeah. Well, just leading a meeting in itself, right? It's not a title. It really is a skill. You can see people yeah, yeah. do that. <laughs> Good point. Probably on a path to leadership if they can do that productively. Yeah, it was funny. I had some really strong mentors early on that I became involved with, and you know, he he had been he's been working with companies for fifty years. I mean, he just retired, and he's really all about the industrial revolution number four, which is basically around singularity between AI and human beings, where you just can't tell the difference between one or the other. And he was said, you know, what you've developed is essentially a self-awareness tool that allows people to realize and drive self-awareness, which is if you come from a coaching background or science, like self-awareness mm-hmm. is one of the absolute hardest things. Yeah. So, you know, by enabling people to help you provide healthy, constructive feedback, you're allowing yourself to be open and vulnerable, which is really one of the key attributes of our solution is that vulnerability actually creates connection. Connection creates longevity inside organizations, ROIs, productivity, da 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 like all of it funnels from the idea of people being more vulnerable about having people be part of their journey. So yeah, I forgot where I was going with that, Benoit, to be honest with you. So I'm going to stop myself in my tracks. <laughs> No, no, it's a, it's a, it's a good reflection. Yeah. What kind of feedback did you get from uh, users? I'm curious mm. to see in their own words what were their their experience. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. We've gotten about three types of feedback. 
macro feedback. The first one is from what we call influencers or those helping the leader grow. Their feedback is, I love being part of the process to help my leader be better at their job. Now, I want you to think about it from a different perspective with that statement. That means the influencers are also getting better at providing feedback. They also then are starting to see what skill sets leaders need to be better at. So often we're all, I mean, geez, majority of us are armchair critiques of leaders. I mean, gosh, everybody, oh, this person's bad at that, or they're, they should be better at this or blah, 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 blah. Like we all do it, but now you have a say in it in a, in a healthy way of like, okay, well, they're working on being compassionate and you know what? I think they could really use that because I see that I've seen them be in, like uncompassionate towards certain X, Y, and Z. So this is great. I can help them learn that skill set, which I think is really important. So there's, there's that side of it. The other side of it is that we got a lot of feedback around the nudges, helping create presence. So if you go to our website, you'll see we have this concept called mindful meetings. You know, we're creating mindful meetings by getting the leader present before the meeting to focus on a, a set of skills they want to work on. And the last thing we've heard of is, you know, the notion of getting the real time circular feedback and nudge has been something that that they had always wanted. And this is more from a partner perspective that they've always wanted, but was, weren't really sure how to tackle, how to get that loop in. There are feedback tools, there are nudge tools, but no one's kind of booking them together to, to say, often if you think about a feedback tool, it's very vanilla, right? How was the meeting? It was great. How is Johnny doing? Superb. How's Vanessa? You know, it, it's very generic. There's nothing actionable about it. And so one of the things that people love about it is that the feedback they're getting is actionable. It's, it's concrete around a certain topic. And I think that thread between nudge to feedback has been one of the things that our users have really loved about the solution. Wow. Brilliant. Well, maybe my last question for you, because I have to go to another meeting, uh, is... <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, two, two part. One, where do you see that technology evolving? And two, where can we learn more about uh, your work? Yeah, so thanks for that. We think the technology is evolving. We have um, some patents pending on it around video and video meetings. So you know, right now our solution works, whether it's in person or, or hybrid or remote. But we think that we've come up with some, some really interesting technology around meetings virtually and how to drive more inclusion in meetings. We think inclusion solves a lot of problems uh, inside organizations. Mm -hmm. So how to drive inclusion. That's probably the biggest on the forefront in the next 12 to 18 months for us. The other big thing is, is the notion of taking your own data with you. So using QChange, taking what you, you score, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about is you get an output, your own proprietary leadership score. So taking all the areas you're working on, taking the score, the feedback, all of that, and using that data for yourself to go to the next company and say, hey, here's my QChange portfolio. You know, we kind of joke and call it what's called a FICA score. So for your audience, you know, in the US, if you're getting credit, to buy a house or a car, they check your FICA score. So, you know, we think the idea of having a FICA score for your leadership is really impactful. Mm -hmm. And so those are two big things that we have coming down the pipeline. In terms of where to find more on us, just simply go to uh, the letter Q, qchange.com. Uh, and, you know, one of the things about our solution, which is amazing, is that not only is it a Microsoft Teams, but anybody can try it for 30 days for free. Simply install it. And away you go. Our version two comes out. I don't know when this, this podcast will be published, but the version two of our product comes out mid to late March. And we're really excited about that. And so with that one, you have a nudge only solution, meaning that if you don't want the feedback, but you do want to be more present in meetings, you can get nudged only. 
But you also, if you want the feedback loop, you have that as an option as well. So it's kind of a choice point for individuals. So again, you just go to Microsoft today. You can install it for free. And it's really only 20, I think it's $25 a month to bring you and your team along on a journey to to be more engaged, more present, uh, and get meaningful insights. Wow. Well, James, thanks for the the great conversation. The the details will certainly keep uh, following the evolution of QChange and hopefully have better meetings. Ah, thank you, Benoit, for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. Take care. This was Abroad Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. I hope you learned something valuable. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and any feedback or rating is greatly appreciated. On LinkedIn and in real life, my name is Benoit Hardivelli and I thank you for your time.